Therefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love unto all the saints, cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us who believe according to the working of his mighty power which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named not only in this world but also in that which is to come and hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church which is his body the fullness of him that filleth all in all welcome to the unchanging word bible study our teacher is dr john g mitchell a man who was faithful in teaching the word of god for more than 60 years throughout the northwest the name of our study, The Unchanging Word, highlights the fact that God's Word has not changed. What God reveals in His written Word was true in the past, is still true today, and will be true tomorrow. God never changes. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Life begins at Calvary, there my Savior died. He took my place and by His grace came with me to The Unchanging Word Bible Broadcast welcomes you to this study in the book of Ephesians, and we will be exploring chapter 1, verses 15 through 23, with our teacher, Dr. John G. Mitchell. While these verses include a prayer of the Apostle Paul for believers, his desire for them is to know Christ by the Holy Spirit's enlightenments. And there are three other specific things he wants them to know. But the focus of this prayer is for the believer to know the power of the risen Christ who is the head of the church, which is his body, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. Well, turn with us to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15 with our teacher, Dr. Mitchell. Good day, friends. We again come with real joy, and may I add, anticipation to talk to you today from the Word of God, concerning the glories and the wonders which God has revealed to us in the Scriptures for your heart and mind, for my heart and mind. We're in the first chapter of the book of Ephesians, and we're dealing with Paul's prayer. Allow me to repeat again. In the book of Ephesians, we have two prayers of the Apostle Paul while he was in prison. That's in the book of Ephesians. You have one, of course, in Philippians and Colossians, but also here, two of them. In chapter 1, the prayer is for knowledge. In chapter 3, the prayer is for, is for fellowship, intimacy of fellowship, and power. Power to live for him. Now, in this first prayer, Paul, he's dealing especially with the truth he's already given to us. Yeah, the same thing in chapter 3. Don't go outside of the book of Ephesians with respect to the prayers which he's making. And Paul is a man who has a great, great desire for God's people. 
it's hard to realize that a man's heart should be so large. He could take in all these churches of Asia Minor. And he loves them. Whether it be the Romans or the, or the Corinthians or the Ephesians or the Galatians, doesn't matter who they were, they were all in his heart. I say what a tremendous heart he had for God's people. Not only for the ones who were walking orderly, but even for the ones who were disorderly in their lives. How he yearned for them. How he shed tears for them. Night and day, as he could say in Acts 20, night and day with tears. Now, in our last lesson, we were dealing with the fact the reason for the prayer is that God's people might be filled with the knowledge of God. As you have it in verse 17, he may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. These Ephesian believers had faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. They had love for all the saints. They're a wonderful church, one of possibly the outstanding church in the first century. But what they needed to know was the knowledge of God's purposes and counsels. Great need for knowledge. You know, it's an amazing thing today. Knowledge is a very common thing today. I mean by that, uh, it, today a person doesn't think he's been educated unless he's gone through college and university. In my day, if you got through high school, you were lucky. Now, that seems as if I'm an old man, but I'm not. I'm a young man. Now, don't you laugh at me on that. The old body might be frail once in a while, but we never grow old, you know. We never grow old. We have eternal life. We never grow old. Well, here you have this question of knowledge. And it's a funny thing with me when I find that so many of God's people, intelligent, have a great deal of worldly knowledge, philosophies, and you name it, and know so little, know so little of the Word of God. Do you know, I remember a Bible class here in Portland, a home Bible class. And this dear lady, one of our women, was started this new class. And there were a group of young matrons, all of them university graduates. At the second class, they came in with all of them with new Bibles. And they said to this teacher, would you please talk to us as if we were little children. We know absolutely nothing of the Bible. And these were not people who hadn't been to school. These were university graduates. And I say it very frankly. There are tens of thousands of our people in America, well taught in the things of this world, very knowledgeable in the various scientific researches or philosophies of the day, and be totally ignorant of God, totally ignorant of what God has revealed in the Word of God. This is the great burden of my heart, that God's people can be able, are able to give a reason for the hope within them. This was the yearning of Peter. You remember in Peter 3.16 when he said, 3.15, Sanctify, set apart the Lord God in your heart, and be ready always to give a reason for the hope within you. But if I can't give a reason for the hope within me, what do I have? So Paul is praying that the Ephesian believers who had faith, who had love for the saints, as well as for the Savior, 
pray they might have knowledge. And he appealed to the fact the source of knowledge is the, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory. Now let's look at the purpose of the prayer, verses 18 to 23. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened. Now let me just stop here for a moment. Now take it up piece by piece. The word here for the word understanding, the, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened. The word there is cardia, uh, from which we get, you know, a cardiograph has to do with the heart. So the eyes of your heart being enlightened. Why does he use that? The gospel is an appeal to the heart. It's only the heart that perceives. What do you mean by the heart? That very center of your being, of your personality. You can have your head full of knowledge, never reach your life, never get right down to your vitals. And Paul is praying that the eyes of your heart, he wants you to know God. He prays that your innermost being will be illuminated. And when your innermost being is illuminated, then the whole man is illuminated. You remember in the epistle of John chapter 2, first epistle of John chapter 2, verses 20 and 27, where John is encouraging the babes in Christ when he said, you have an unction from the Holy One. And you need not that any man teach you. In other words, he's saying the fact, Spirit of God who is in you will reveal to you the truth. Just like you have in the second chapter of 1 Corinthians. It's a Spirit of God that knows the things of God. The Spirit of God that imparts, enlightens. That's his work. As our Lord said in John 16, he's going to take the things of mine and show them unto you. He will show you things to come. And when Paul prays, that the eyes of your heart might be enlightened, I say amen. What a need for us today to have the, our innermost being illuminated by the Spirit of God in the knowledge of the truth of God. Remember, the Spirit of God has come to do that thing. He's going to impart, he's going to reveal the very deep things of God. In fact, if I were to go back to that second chapter of 1 Corinthians, I'd point out, the only one who knows the spirit of man or the things of man is the spirit of man who lives in him. You don't understand all about the, uh, the creatures of the earth, your dogs, your horses, whatever it may be. They're not man. They're not in the human family. You can't go down to, the, uh, to a different species of, of creatures and understand all that goes on. You may learn a few things about them, but you don't have that communication in words. What do you know about angels? If you can't go to the lower creation and you can't go to the, to the angelic beings, how in the world are you going to know about God? Only one way, by revelation. And the Bible gives to us the revelation of God through his Son. So he prays that the eyes of your heart, your innermost being, will be enlightened. Now, it's not enough, and I say it very bluntly, it's not enough for your mind to be open and to receive the truth. God, God moves through the mind. But that truth which you see with your mind involves your will. What are you going to do with that truth? And if I accept the truth, and then I fix my emotions, 
Yes, I believe in emotions. And I believe in a will, too. And I believe in a mind, too. In fact, those three things are, are very closely related, even in the believing on the Savior. With my mind, I see the truth. With my will, I accept the truth. Or reject it, whatever it may be. With my emotions, I experience the truth. And some people are so occupied with experiencing what they believe is truth, their minds are, are unfruitful. Their wills are not involved. It takes all three. Your mind must be enlightened. And this is what Paul is praying for, that, the, the, that their hearts and their minds might be open to the truth. Knowledge comes through the mind. So you have in here the purpose of the prayer, that the Lord of glory might open your eyes to the wonderful truths as they are in Christ Jesus. And may I again remind you that verse in Colossians 2, 3, God has hidden in Christ all his treasures of wisdom and of knowledge. And the more I know of Jesus Christ in my intimate life, in my personal life, the more I know of God. And I tell you, my friends, it's a real thing. This is not just some theory. This is not just some passing experience. It's a real thing. That when one comes a sinner and puts their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, then goes on in the word of God, which we should do. It's not enough to just believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. It's true you're saved by believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. But God wants you to grow. As Peter said, as newborn babes, desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. If so be, you've tasted and seen that the Lord is good. I'm quoting 1 Peter 2, verses 2 and 3. Now, let me get down to the, the second thing. That you may know what is the hope of his calling. Now, you'll notice, you'll notice in the passages, in verse 18, he wants you to know three things. He wants you to know what is the hope of his calling. He wants you to know what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. He wants you to know what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us who believe. Three things he wants you to know. He wants you to know, first of all, the call of God. What is the hope of his calling? But what is the hope of his calling? what the saints are going to be before God in Christ. He chose us, and he desires us to be complete. God is not going to be satisfied, as I have oftentimes said, until you and I who are Christians will stand in the presence of God conform to the image of Jesus Christ. You take Hebrews chapter 12, verses 2 to 3, where, where the writer says concerning our Savior, who for the joy that was set before him, and do with the cross, despise the shame, and is set down at the right hand of God. Who for the joy that was set before him is a calling. Take Jude 24, the last verse of Jude. Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding great joy. It's not talking about you having joy. It's talking about him having joy. What is the call of God to take you and me and present us to himself, a holy church, having neither spot nor wrinkle nor any such thing? You find that in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 26 and 27. 
Or you might find it in uh, Romans 8.29, where God has determined that we shall be conformed to the image of the Son. Now, our hope is in Christ. We've been called to a hope. As 1 Timothy 1.1 1, 1 says, Jesus Christ, our, our hope. First verse of 1 Timothy. Christ is our hope. But what about his? Ah, you and I. The very hope of the Savior is that you now stand in his presence, conformed to his image. He's going to present us before the throne of his glory with exceeding great joy. I tell you, my friend, what a day that is going to be when the Lord Jesus Christ, if I may quote, if I may quote from Hebrews chapter 2, I and the children which God hath given me, the hope of his calling. Now, the second thing is to not only know the call of God, but to know the purpose of God. What's the second thing? What the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Now, we were talking in the first part of the chapter about our inheritance in Christ. Like 1 Peter 1, 4, we have an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, and fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for us, so are kept by the power of God, and so on. We rejoice in our inheritance in Christ. Do you stop to think that he has an inheritance? The purpose of God, the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Mark those three words, the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. You know, I think of the fact that when you and I stand in the presence of God, we are the gift. Can I put it this way? We are God's gift to his son. Do you remember the Lord spoke of that in John 17 when he talked about over and over again, the men whom you've given to me, the men whom you've given to me, the men whom you've given to me. I want those men. And that I'm sure he's speaking there uh, of all believers, men and women. The ones you've given to me, Father, there's one thing I want. I want them to behold my glory the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Do you remember in, uh, in John 17, 22, the glory which you've given to me, I have given to them. But in 24, he says, Father, I want something with all that you, everyone you've given to me may behold me in my glory. We, my friend, I say this reverently, every believer in Christ God's inheritance. Just think of it. The joy that's going to be the Lord when he presents to his Father a people conformed to his image. I and the people, I and the children, which God hath given to me. May I, may I just suggest this? If God is going to give you a gift, you would expect a perfect gift, would you not? Of course, of course. God wouldn't give you an imperfect gift. And we could see with Paul in 2 Corinthians, you remember, thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift. Thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift. God's given to you and to me a perfect gift, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, don't you think if God's given to us a perfect gift, he's going to give 
to his son, a perfect gift. His inheritance in the saints. And when, and when we are presented before God by the Son of God, he's going to do it with exceeding great joy. Why? Because every believer is the Father's gift to the Son. We are his inheritance, a perfect, eternal, complete inheritance. And believe me, my friend, again I say it, when God gets through with every one of his children, every one of his children, the fathers and the young men and the babies, I'm speaking spiritually concerning maturity, everyone will stand before God in all the beauty and all the glory and all the righteousness of Christ. The human mind can't begin to grasp the marvel of all this. Oh, listen, Christian friend, how we have robbed ourselves of the riches of the grace of God, of the glory of God, which we have in Christ. To me, it's a sad thing that so many Christians are ignorant of all that Christ has in us and we have in Christ. Now, the third thing, first of all, we are to know the call of God. Then we are to know the purpose of God. As I said a moment ago, we are the Father's gift to the Son. His riches are, are in the saints of God. Just, just like God could save Israel, for example, in Exodus 19. Uh, I brought you on eagles' wings to myself, and you're going to be a, a peculiar treasure unto me in the earth. It was concerning Israel. And when it comes to the church, he's going to show forth the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us by Christ Jesus. And through the believer, through eternity, he's going to teach principalities and powers the wonderful wisdom of God. I tell you, we've got a tremendous place in the economy of God, and the purpose of God. Now the third one, we have to know the power of God. From verse 19 to the end of the passage, we are to know the power of God. And I see where my time is gone, but let me just suggest, in verses 19 to 23, you have one of the most astounding things, the revelation that God wants you and me to know. To know in our experience, not only in our mental knowledge, but in our experience, something of the knowledge and power of God. The greatest, and I repeat this, the greatest demonstration of the power of God was not in creation, but was in the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ from the dead and the exaltation of a real man, Jesus Christ, to the throne of God far above all principalities and powers. Do you ever stop to think of it, my friend? Do you ever stop to think of it? And when I think that God in his infinite, infinite mercy is ready to unfold to you, to make known to you something of which angels know nothing, God help us Christians to get down to business with God and find out what he has for us in his word. Oh, how, I say it again, how we have robbed ourselves of the experience of the presence and power of God day by day. We're rich in Christ, and we live like paupers. May the Lord 
in his wonderful mercy and in his grace, open your mind and my mind, your heart and my heart, to the wonders of his grace and the marvels of his love. And I pray not only in our faith in Christ and love for his people, but you might know something of the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe. Now we take it up in our next lesson. Read this wonderful book of Ephesians over and over and over again. Tomorrow he comes for me. He comes, he comes. Tomorrow he comes for me. So until next time, this is the Unchanging Word Bible Broadcast. Life begins at 10.